Jessica. And I'm David, and this is Passports and Birth Control, a couple's take on international travel. So today we're going to be talking about maybe my absolute favorite city. It, it kind of waffles between London and Istanbul and maybe even Hong Kong a little bit, or at least old Hong Kong, is my absolute favorite cities in the world to be. And so London was definitely can't miss it. And on our route, if you recall, we left off in Edinburgh and we were heading down to Europe through Edinburgh. Now this whole trip, we wanted to avoid going on a plane as much as possible, which is very easy to do in Western Europe. And so we wanted to take a train from Edinburgh to London. Now you can take a plane from Edinburgh to London. It's actually cheaper. You can take a bus there. There are buses all throughout uh, Great Britain. You can also take a plane from pretty much anywhere in the world to London. It's a hot spot for anywhere in the world. But we took a train from Edinburgh to London, and it was gorgeous, picturesque. You know, you take this train route through rocky coastland, you know, the, the area that that train and Harry Potter was going through. You could maybe close your eyes and imagine you were on your way to Hogwarts at some point in time. Which is kind of what we did, actually. We took the very train that Harry and co. take from London to Hogwarts in reverse. So we arrived at King's Cross Station. Not platform nine and three quarters. We arrived right. at just a regular old platform. Right. But we did arrive at King's Cross Station, the iconic absolutely beautiful amazing architecture and there is a platform nine and three quarters there so of course being the massive geeks we are in this regard me more than david <laughs> <laughs> i indulged her waiting in line for about 45 minutes so that we could take pictures going because there's not actually a platform nine and three quarters because of course there isn't there's a platform nine and a platform ten but that's actually in the international section it of is. the station. You're not allowed in there unless you have a ticket. So they set it up in the domestic so that more people can access it. What they did is they just hung a sign on the wall is what they right. did. And so there's this sign on the brick wall that says platform nine and three quarters this way. But it's set up with a trolley and memorabilia. And it's a great little tourist spot. So if you like Harry Potter, it's a great thing to do. It's a lot of fun. We took photos. We did the wand shop. It was very, very, very cool. So after waiting for Unfortunately, 45... <laughs> I had some issues with my phone and the photos got deleted. So after waiting for 45 minutes to get our pictures taken, the next day she wakes up and says, honey, I accidentally deleted those photos. We have to go back. So I have the best husband in the world. <laughs> we took the photos twice. <laughs> yes. He went back just to indulge me. So this is what traveling as a couple is. You take care of each other. You accidentally forget to delete the photos that you spent it so it ended up being twice as long but okay well we got those the silly photos taken care of it's they're cute it's a fun thing to do the good thing about it is it's free it is free and it's a lot of fun so if you are a geek and if you are a potterhead i recommend it now after our first foray into platform nine and three quarters we went to our hotel now we stayed in a boutique hotel because we were there for a little longer we were there about five days and we wanted something a little more comfortable so it was a little bit more expensive than your average hostel, but not enough to justify the diminished experience. Right. You can stay at many of these similar boutique hot hotels. They're all over the city. You can stay at a hostel. They're also all over the city, and they're very nice. Uh, some day, people like to stay at Airbnbs in London. It's a great option to stay in an Airbnb. I would avoid just your typical regular hotels, though. I there's, really would. There's no reason. You don't want to stay in a hotel. You want to leave your hotel. London is such a traveler's hub. You can go and spend $10 
$10 a night, or you can spend $1,000 a night. And London, being the cultural hub of the world the way it is, can accommodate whatever sort of lodgings you prefer. And I, you know, I would prefer just going to a small hostel. The first time Absolutely. I went to London as a student, I studied abroad there, I ended up at the International Students' House, or ISH. This is right in the middle of central London. It's the cheapest, nicest hostel I ever stayed at, and it exclusively caters to international students. You have to actually show an international student ID card. So if you are in college and if you happen to be traveling internationally, show your student ID card at ISH, the International Students' House. It's my preferred hostel in London if you are of college age. Um, I don't think I can, I'm allowed in there anymore, uh, <laughs> but if for those of you looking for absolutely affordable accommodations, you can who find are students who are students. You can stay at Ish, and there's many, many boutique ho hotels and hostels throughout the city. Now, the first real tourist attraction we went to, other than the train station itself, is we went to 221B Baker Street. Now, for those of you who are fans of the TV show Sherlock or just re read Sherlock Holmes novels uh, and short stories, this is an actual place. This is where Sherlock Holmes uh, in the books and in the TV show lives, but it's an actual place. It's an actual building. And they've taken the actual address, 221B Baker Street, and turned it into a Sherlock Holmes museum. They've recreated the look and feel of an 1800s apartment, made it, you know, you can have all these different artifacts, like, oh, look, there's his violin, or look, there's... Complete with details from the novels, like the VR that he shot into the wall. Yeah, and and there's some of the aesthetics are a little bit more accommodated to the modern Sherlock. You can see there's some homages to that. But really, it's trying to be the 1800s, the Victorian era Sherlock. The original. The original. It's not really trying to be the TV show. But if you're a fan of the TV show, if you're not as familiar with the older ones, you'll still get that Sherlock aesthetic because they definitely cater to that as well. It's a small museum. You kind of just wander around a small apartment for a little bit. But it's so transformative. You feel like you're in a Victorian London apartment. And because it is so lived in and, and real, it feels like, oh, I Sherlock Holmes must just he's in the bathroom or something. Let's, he's gone for tea. Yeah, and, and and you're sitting you're standing in his apartment. It's a really transformative experience, relatively affordable, and I would highly recommend it if you have any interest in Sherlock Holmes. Or literary genres in general. Now, we also did the Tower of London. Now, this is an absolute cannot miss when you are in England in general. So much of English history happened in this place, and so much of English history is still happening in this place. Yeah, it's, it's still an active military site, still an active part of the British monarchy. It goes all the way back to the Norman Conquest. The Normans built this essentially impregnable fortress like built plopping down a death star in the middle of england saying we own this place this is an impregnable fortress the normans are here to stay this is royal authority and so it has ever since then been a place of royal authority then where the royal uh, prisoners have been kept kings and queens were kept there some of the queens were executed there Anne boleyn catherine howard some of these very famous names you know from pop culture and history and all these wonderful references. Now, part of the Tower of London is a legend of the ravens, that if the ravens ever leave the Tower of London, 
the monarchy will fall. So you see these ravens, they're hanging around the tower grounds. They're huge and they're everywhere. And they are actually very friendly as far as wild birds go. You shouldn't feed them, though. You're not allowed to feed them. They take care of that themselves. Yeah, and the people that are also there that take care of the ravens are the bee feeders. These are the ceremonially garbed, red-coated uh, soldiers. With the flat hats, you can picture them in your head. I'm quite sure everyone knows what a bee feeder looks yeah. like. They, they guard the tower grounds, and they've been a ceremonial uh, guards. But they're also uh, helpful with tourists. They can point out, hey, where's the crown jewel exhibit? It, oh, it's over there. And that is a cannot miss. These are the crown jewels of England, of the UK. Perhaps the most famous crown jewels in the world, not the oldest, but one of the most famous. You can see the scepter that's got a giant diamond on it, the ceremonial crown that is only used to actually crown the monarch. Remember the, the stone of scone, the stone of destiny? When the next king or queen is crowned, they will sit on the stone of destiny or stone of scone, sit on a ceremonial chair, and then they that crown will be placed on their head, and that means that they the are... scepter and orb in their hand. Scepter hands. and orb in their hand, which are also on exhibit, and they are the British monarch. Now, another thing that I highly recommend, but it's a little bit difficult to get into, but you definitely need to go and see it. It is, aside from the Tower of London, probably the symbol of London, and that's Parliament. You probably have seen Big Ben, the clock tower that is connected to the Parliament building. This is the equivalent of the U.S. Capitol building for you Americans. It's where the Parliament meets in the House of Commons and in the House of Lords, and this is where the laws of the United Kingdom are set. The royals do not have any power, really. It's the Prime Minister and Parliament that sits in Parliament. The, the members of Parliament, they write the laws. They have a constitutional monarchy. And so this is the current, and for the last several hundred years, power of the United Kingdom. And so we were lucky enough, we got there when they were offering tours. You have to book these in advance, make sure the timing's right, and they do fill up fast. It's not cheap to do it, but it's definitely worthwhile because as gorgeous as Parliament looks on the outside, it is that much more spectacular on the inside. There are murals depicting historical moments throughout British history. There are all these paintings of Oliver Cromwell. and The hall itself, where Parliament meets, dates back to the Norman Conquest as well. It's one of the first buildings that they built there, aside from the Tower of London. And that hall was where lords would meet. And they expanded it to the House of Commons and the House of Lords. The House of Commons was burnt, uh, near nigh on destroyed in World War II. The Germans bombed it, so they rebuilt it. And in various different halls, you can see, oh, that, that pillar is all mangled and damaged because that's from the damage that the, the German bombs made. And so if you're lucky enough to go on this tour, you might be able to get into the House of Commons itself where you can see the long le green leather-backed benches where the parliament members sit. And there's the place where the prime minister stands and, you know, Boris Johnson and all of them that get to make their famous speeches. And so it's, it's, it's a really interesting tour to be able to see lots of history, lots of beauty in it as well. Now, again, these are not always available. So in general especially with the pandemic on, before you book anything, do your research. Make sure the sites you want to see are open and available and that you don't need proof of vaccination or to wear a mask. Do your research before you go. Make sure what you want is available. Another cannot miss in London. There are a lot of cannot misses in London. 
the famous Westminster Abbey. If you already go to Parliament, the benefit is it's right there in the same square. It's right across the street from Parliament. Right. So much of British history, again, took place in this abbey. This is where the monarchy is crowned. This is where a lot of official religious events, such as weddings and coronations, take place. Also, a lot of famous people have, are buried here or have memorials here. We can see memorials to C.S. Lewis. We can see the grave sites of people such as kings and queens. Queen Elizabeth I is actually buried there. Right, we got to see her tomb and pay homage to her. So besides paying homage to Queen Elizabeth I and seeing all these graves and tombs Essentially, and if they're a known person, you know, uh, William Shakespeare, all the, the who's who of British history, right. they either have a memorial there or they're buried there. Right. And so this is a beautiful place. It is an active church. Again, I'm going to say it. You're going to get tired of hearing me say it. Be respectful. It's an active place of worship. It is a sacred site. So to the graves, to the people buried and entombed there, to the people worshiping there, be respectful. And you might be fortunate enough to be able to attend a worship ceremony there. But again, uh, be respectful and you know sit in the back and listen to the beauty of the voices echoing through the ancient rafters oh, of the Westminster Abbey. Oh, the acoustics of this place. It is just lovely. Maybe I wouldn't say this is must-see. You're going to see it you because are going to see it's it. in the city itself is Tower Bridge. Now, going back to the Tower of London, what we essentially did is we walked from the Tower of London all along that the, the Thames, the river that runs through central London. And the Tower Bridge spans the Thames not far from the Tower of London. That's why it's called the Tower Bridge. It is part of the famous London skyline. Right. You might have heard it being called the London Bridge. That's not true. The London Bridge is something different. It's just a normal bridge. This is the Tower Bridge because it's located near the tower. It has these two very picturesque towers that you might have seen on postcards. It, it actually dates back to Victorian times times, much like Parliament, it's actually an 1800s edition, like Big Ben, where a lot of the British, what we think of today as the symbol of modern-day Britain came from, that Victorian aesthetic of imposing imperial stonework and iron, and they're fascinating to look at from a distance and even up close. You can take tours of the towers themselves in the Tower Bridge, but it's just kind of neat to walk across it, and that's what we did. We just kind of walked across it. Now, there's also Trafalgar Square. When you think of London, one of the names that comes to mind is Trafalgar. Now, this is the very famous square where you have Nelson's Column. Again, part of that iconic London skyline. Also in Trafalgar Square is the National Portrait Gallery. This is exactly what it sounds like. There's a great deal of British artwork, specifically portraits, housed here, which it was really an amazing walkthrough. I mean... It's it, a free museum. You can see some great pieces of art in that, in that area. Uh, they have the bathers is probably the most famous piece of art there. Right. You're not going to see quite the same caliber of historical pieces as you would see at, say, Berlin's Museum Island or at the Louvre in Paris but you are going to see some really remarkable art pieces here. So on this long walk we took from the Tower of London, crossing the Tower Bridge, going into Trafalgar Square. Our legs were very tired at this we point. We walked a lot. 
definitely get your steps in before you embark on this trip. Yeah. You will want the endurance. London is such a great walking city. Oh, it is. Well, we walked to this area near Trafalgar Square where we were like, let's get some dinner. Surely we'll find a good meat pie place to get dinner. I thought, let's get some meat pies. That's a that's sort of a, a, a cliched sort of go-to dish when you're in London. But it's cliched for a reason. They're delicious. So we found this place called the Smithwick's Restaurant. If you're familiar with Smithwick's Beer, uh, it seemed to be a themed restaurant for Smithwick's Beer, and they advertised meat pies. So we go up to the, we had this great old-fashioned, you could just see the nicotine stains Big in the walls. Big booths. Yeah, just very old-fashioned, you know, almost like a Hunter's Lodge type You're aesthetic. You're transported back into time. Yeah. So I get a steak pie. I get a kidney and blood pie. It, both of them were phenomenal. We had a nice thick Smithwicks to go with it. Oh man, so good. One interesting encounter though, while we were there, we seemed to be the only group of people other than this other table with young college-aged men. And one of them seemed very upset. Now, just to set the stage here, our server was a young Vietnamese, I believe, woman. Very who, sweet lady. Very sweet lady. And she was a bit overworked, it looked like. And this Draco Malfoy-looking guy, he looked like Boris Johnson in college. He goes over to her and he just is berating her. In the most posh southern British accent. My meat pie had no meat in it. And he was just berating her. And I thought, oh my gosh. What a tool. And so I walked right up to her. I said, my meat pie was delicious. And I gave her a tip because that kind of attitude was a bit uncomfortable uncomfortable for me. It was like, it was, it felt like a scene out of Harry Potter seeing Draco Malfoy mouthing off to a servant. And, and I, I, it was just a weird experience to see that, and I felt I felt the need to stand up for the for the common person who who was un, unfairly being mistreated by this person. But this is something you do see. It's sort of an underbelly of classism that is present in the UK. And just and as elsewhere. just as a background, we happened to be there when Brexit was still very much on a lot of people's minds, and so there seemed to be that controversy and division of a us versus them, and I don't want to make it racist, but maybe this person was a bit racist. There, there is the the whole point of Brexit was they don't want immigrants into Great Britain, or at least the people who were in favor of Brexit. And so it's almost like we got to see a Brexiteer in action, and it, it made us very uncomfortable this whole encounter. But it was it was interesting to see this like. Does this person realize how much of a cliche they look like? <laughs> now, I do want to backtrack to one other detail. I did say I had a, a kidney and blood pie. Now, that sounds, even to my own ears, like the most disgusting thing ever. It was delicious. It had big chunks of this very rich kidney meat and steak and the blood. It's actually like a, a blood soot. It's like a gravy. Right, a gravy made from, not to be gross here, beef blood. And it sounds like the type of thing I would normally not touch with a 30-foot pole. Guys, I cannot recommend it highly enough. So if you see a group of young men wearing stiffened clothes and stiff collars and they all happen to be white, they might not be the best people to be around when you're having your nice meat pie. But it's, Get still, your meat pie. it's still worthwhile to go to. Now, I was fortunate enough to actually study abroad in London. I was there for a semester in college, and I had a joint partnership with my university that I was going to and the University of Regent's College, which is right in the middle of Regent's Park. 
So we actually went to Regent's Park to allow me to relive my glory days of college. And to show me the things that he loved in London before we met. So I happened to be in London for three months. I sort of knew what, what to go to. And we, you know, we, I'd actually been to the Tower of London before. So I got to show Jessica around to some of these places. But it was also nice to refresh myself because we were there in kind of the summer and spring. And I was there in the fall before. So I got to see London with a different perspective. But just a few things that I did that I told Jessica we, we should probably not do. Do not go to Madame Tussauds and do not do the London Eye. I don't want to disparage them too much, but they're extremely expensive. And Madame Tussauds is really just a nice wax museum. So unless you're celebrity obsessed, it's it's something you can we skip. We walked past. We saw the outside. We saw the London Eye. We didn't go in. We didn't ride. But they were worth seeing, even though we didn't do them. The London Eye is this enormous Ferris wheel, and it takes you up very slowly and allows you to see the skyline. It's a great view, but... If you're not scared of heights. If you're not, yeah, if you are scared of heights, it's definitely something to skip, but it's extremely expensive and not worth it in my mind. But if you really want to do it, go for it. You'll get a nice view. you get some nice pictures. But in my mind, something you can skip. One thing, however, that Jessica was forced to skip that she didn't want to, going back to that timing things i happened to be there in the fall when buckingham palace allowed tours because the queen is not typically in residence then when the queen is in residence you're not permitted to enter buckingham palace and they don't always offer tours anyways so when jessica and i were there we couldn't go inside buckingham palace i happened to be able to be able to do that and so me and a group of friends we toured buckingham palace we got to see the sort of th- the throne room, as it were, that they have. It, it's it's not as, you know, grandiose or Lord of the Rings as you might think. It's really just a room with red carpet and there's a, there's a chair there. Because it's, it's, you know, royalty is not what it once was. It's more ceremonial there for pictures. So it's not quite as grandiose in my mind as a place like Parliament. But you still see a lot of history. You get to see all this artwork and everything. So don't expect it to look exactly like it is in like the Netflix show The Crown. But it's somewhat like that. You get to see a glimpse of that. Yes, keep rubbing salt in the wound. (laughs) Yeah, you have to definitely be careful about the timing because it's not always open. This is why you do your research. Now, part of London's amazing history, England's amazing history, is the literary history. And the greatest of English literature... William Shakespeare. Now, the Globe Theater is right on the banks of the Thames, right where it was originally built in the 1600s. Now, this is a reconstruction, but it's a beautiful, well-done reconstruction that does actual plays today. And in fact, we got to go and see a play there. We did the spirit of the 1600s. We got the cheap standing room seats right in front of the stage, and we got to see Taming of the Shrew. So this... this theater does not have seating on the floor it is just a vacant space on the floor a just big open lot just like it was in elizabethan times you can stand there and the best place to stand is up against the stage because you can lean on the stage because your feet might get tired <laughs> standing for an hour or two hours or sometimes even three hours if the show's that long you can pay extra to stay in the gallery in the ring of but you stands. really get a better view standing as they did in the Elizabethan era. And they're cheaper seats. They are cheaper well, seats. Well, cheaper standing area. Yes. Now, like I said, we got to see Taming of the Shrew. Now, by modern standards, this is a very problematic, very sexist play. And they did an amazing job with it. They twisted it around and made it sort of a commentary on sexism. Right. And they, they very much empowered the character of Catherine. 
And just the way they did it, and the way they made this woman seem wronged. When William Shakespeare wrote it, it was presented that the way she was treated was right in the proper order and how things should be done. And this very much presented it as, this is not okay. This woman has been wronged. And it was just such an amazingly well done, well acted, well performed play. It was absolutely a cannot miss experience. Right. You can go to the Globe and see those extremely traditional Shakespearean productions, but they also have modern versions. So if you're a fan of theater, you can find anything at the Globe when it comes to Shakespeare, that is. Now, what's wonderful, they didn't change a single word. Right, so they still show the same play, they just changed the aesthetic of it. And it works. It is such an experience. Now, that's not the only theater in London by far. The West End theater scene is world famous and potentially a rival to Broadway in at terms... At very least a counterpoint. At least a counterpoint. So many plays are produced there. They have. You can actually see f some famous people. I was fortunate enough to be able to see a play with Kevin Spacey back before you know, Kevin Spacey was not someone you wanted to see. Before we met. Before we met, and I got to see a play with Cole Meany in it, and it was just a phenomenal uh, showcase. So if you're a fan of theater, you can definitely find it in London. And, and you can go to small theaters, you can go to big theaters, you can go to the Globe. I encourage you to explore the theater scene as much as you can. Do catch at least one show while you're in London, regardless of what you go to. And the Globe is a great option because it's relatively affordable. It's probably the cheapest of the really must-go-to theaters. Absolutely. Now, in addition to must-go-to, I could put this on a maybe-go-to, but it was definitely a must-go-to for us, St. Paul's Cathedral, which is an Anglican cathedral. So what's interesting about this building, it is grandiose and huge on the outside but inside the aesthetic is actually really under uh, it's like understated uh, aesthetic sparse. yeah sparse aesthetic which is much more of a protestant way of decorating things because it is a protestant church but it's enormous like a big catholic cathedral and so this is their national cathedral for the anglican church and in world war ii it was the symbol of London. The, the Germans might have bombed Parliament, but they actually were trying to bomb St. Paul's, and they kept missing it because there were so many anti-aircraft guns around that area. So it's it became the symbol of London. St. Paul's is still there. And as I said, I was there in the fall semester studying abroad, so I was very fortunate. I got to see a children's Christmas choir singing there, where they have the high-pitched voices singing to the rafters, and it was just such a wonderful experience to be able to enjoy that. If you're there in Christmas time, it's one of those unforgettable experiences to be able to see, to hear the echoing, high-pitched youth choir voices singing and echoing from the dome. It's worth going to. Prepare yourself, to be honest. It's a bit disappointing and aesthetic on the inside, but it's great to look out on the outside. It's a gorgeous building, and it happens to be right near the Globe. So if you're going to go see a show at the Globe, hop on across the river, uh, and go check out St. Paul's real quick. Another thing you want to see in London, in, and this is just a general thing, go into a pub. Check out the pub scene. The pub scene in London is unmatched. You can, except for maybe Dublin. Right. So go into a pub, hang out and find out what, what this pub scene is all about. Get a pint 
I'm not going to really give you a specific one to go into. They're I want, all amazing. They're, they're, they're not all amazing. They're not all amazing. But uh, any regular pub, and you'll find some great camaraderie and some great aesthetics and probably some great beer, too. Oh, yeah. We unfortunately went to a pub when the Champions League Championship was playing, and I didn't know it at the time, and I'm not really a soccer fan, so I went up to the pub and noticed it was so packed, and we just wanted some packed dinner. And I asked, oh, what game is on? The bartender looked at me like, Oh my gosh, you're such a freaking tourist. Come to find out, this is the equivalent of the Super Bowl. Yeah, so just, just be, you know, it was not a very, it was an embarrassing moment. Now, one of the things that we did miss, David, when we were booking this trip, David bragged endlessly on this museum, talked about how much he wanted to take me there, the Imperial War Museum. Now, he and I, in addition to being geeks, are kind of history buffs. And so this is so far up David's alley that I can't even explain it. But London, as you can tell by this episode, is so jam-packed with things to do, it completely slipped our minds until we were on our way out of London. We ran out of time. We couldn't go to the Imperial War Museum. You could spend all day in this museum and you would enjoy it. I think what happened was is we, we decided let's go to the British Museum instead. Right. We went to the British Museum and if I'm going to be completely honest, I think it was the right call. The British Museum has the Rosetta Stone in it. Yes, we couldn't miss that. Ancient Egyptian artifacts. And and it is a bit controversial because whether should the British have these artifacts? Should the British have they even have a reproduction of the Parthenon from Athens in the British Museum. And even the Greeks are saying, hey, you should give that back. So if you want to see some Greek temples recreated, if you want to see some mummies, if you want to see some Assyrian tablets. It's the rival to the Louvre in terms of its historical artifacts. The Louvre has a lot more artwork, sure, but this has some very significant pieces of history, and it's definitely a must-see when you're in London. Especially if you're a history buff. Now, in other museums are things like the Victoria and Albert Museum, which you can hop in in there. There's a lot of interesting artwork and historical artifacts in there. The British Imperial War Museum, obviously a place to go to. But the great thing about London is you never run out of things to do. Oh, it's never off our list because there is so much there besides the Imperial War Museum that we want to go back and see and do things we haven't done before. And yes, honestly, things that we have done before that we would love to do again. And even living there for the entire fall semester, one of my favorite things to do was to just hang out in London. It's such a walkable city, but it's a very big city. So don't be intimidated by that. It has the best subway system in the world. I like to sort of quick judge cities based on the capabilities and quality of their subways. For instance, Kiev had a surprisingly good subway, and Paris had a surprisingly terrible bad uh, subway. Now, honestly, the very, very first thing we did on arrival into London was stop in the station and get our Oyster card. Right, so get your Oyster card. You can get a day pass, you can get a week pass, or you can just pay as you go. The Oyster card makes the subway makes the tube less expensive. So get one of those real quick, rather than paying ticket to ticket, get an Oyster card, which is essentially like a little credit card. You can put money on it, and so every time you go on the subway, you use that, and it gives you a big discount compared to just buying a ticket every time you go in. Get your Oyster card. The tube is clean, it's fast. It's safe. It's safe. It's a nice place, nice way to get around London. It's a very pleasant way to get around London. So don't be intimidated by the scale of the city. It is a huge city. And you can either do what we did and walk your legs off, or you could just take the subway everywhere. You can also take the black cabs, but they're a lot more expensive than the, than the tube. 
the bus system is good, but it's harder to navigate. The subway is so easily laid out. There's that famous tube map, which shows all the different lines, and it's just an experience in itself, getting on and off the tube. There's really a reason the locals use the tube, and that's because it is unmatched. Follow the locals here, guys. I wouldn't recommend renting a car. That's a terrible idea in London. And there are some people who like the hop-on, hop-off buses. We're the, we're the last people to get on a hop-on, hop-off tour bus. Don't bother. Take your own tour. Use your legs. Use the tube. Use the bus and cabs if you You'll want. You'll see so much more of the true nitty-gritty London. And That's it's so such, amazing. It's such a city that you can just walk around and you'll never... You'll, you, you, oh, there's that World War I memorial in the middle of the street. There's Nelson's Column. There's the BT Tower. There's so much to see around every corner, and I'll never get sick of the city, and I'll always want to come back. Oh, how can you? Now, we're going to give you a quick rundown of our absolute favorite things that we got to eat, drink, and do in London. This is our new segment on our show. We're going to try and do this with every city from now on. We're going to call it Our Favorites. So we'll start off with our favorite food that we had while we were in London. And I will go first. Now, we haven't covered this yet, but London is actually famous for its... Indian food. Curry is actually the national dish of the United Kingdom. And so when you're in London, yes, you can get these meat pies and fish and chips and traditional pasties. meals and pasties and traditional meals of the British, but you have to get Indian food. And so we went to an, a small restaurant that had Indian food and it was phenomenal. Mouthwatering. Oh, so good. So my favorite food. The Indian restaurant we ate at. Now, I'm a little more of a traditionalist. I love curry, don't get me wrong. But those fish and chips, when they were served, they were so, served in a basket lined with a piece of paper. And this is gonna sound so unappetizing. You pour some malt vinegar on that fish, you pick it up. There is a grease spot that has soaked all the way through that paper, made it as transparent as glass. And it's the best fried fish you've ever put in your mouth. Where we got this was a pub right off of Trafalgar Square called- The Silver Cross. The Silver Cross, my, and that leads to my best drink. The best drink I had, the, my favorite drink in all of London, was a pint of any kind, really, but the pint of bitter I had the, at the Silver Cross was my absolute best drink we had while we were in London. Thick, malty, and they pour it out. So the, the, the British beers, you've heard this cliche of it being warm beer. Well, that's not true. It's just not freezing cold. Traditionally, a British pint is going to be poured out of a cask that is not carbonated like most of a cask, most of the kegs that we have in America. It has a giant wooden handle and it needs to be pumped. And so it's less carbonated and less freezing cold. It is still cold and it is still carbonated, but it's thicker, it's more flavorful, it's more bitter. And at the Silver Cross, they do it great. So have a pint at the Silver Cross and make sure it's one of the big handled ones. Now, another drink that, in my opinion, because this was my favorite, you can't miss, the gin cocktail, specifically gin and tonic. This is such a classic, well-known British drink. British gin, tonic water, nice, bitter, herbal, refreshing, go for a gin and tonic. That leads us to our favorite thing about London. So what was your favorite thing about London? Oh, for me, hands down, Taming of the Shrew at the Globe getting to stand there in the cheap seats and see this performance standing at the actor's feet. 
It was just such a wonderful experience. I still dream about it. It's a wonderful thing. I think my favorite thing, you probably heard through the, the tone of my voice, Parliament. I never get sick of Parliament. I used to, when I, when I was there studying abroad, I would hop on the subway, get off at the Westminster stop, and just look at Parliament, hang out in Parliament Square. I'd grab a book and I'd study, or I'd just hang out and read at a park bench, looking at Big Ben, looking at Parliament, going inside it, and or just looking at it. It's just such a wonderful thing to be able to do. My absolute favorite. But again, I will never run out of things to do How in London. How can you? And I will always want to go back. I mentioned the gin and tonic cocktail, the classic quintessential British cocktail. This is a really easy drink to make. Personally, if I'm going to go for a British gin, I like the Beefeater gin. Now you're going to take about one part to two parts gin and tonic. And really, it doesn't matter what brand or variety of tonic water you use. You can buy the super cheap dollar a bottle stuff. You can buy the nice $10 a bottle stuff. As long as it has that quinine bitterness, that's really all you need. So you're gonna do one part gin, two parts tonic, pour it over ice, garnish with a little cucumber if you like. Don't need to, but I like it, David does not. And that's your gin, gin and tonic. Very simple cocktail, very refreshing, great for summertime. So, this has been Passports and Birth Control. Don't forget your passport. Don't forget your birth control. Like Passports and Birth Control? Give us a review and follow us on Instagram. Tell us in the comments where you'd like us to go next and support us on Patreon. Your support will send us more places and help us create more episodes.